from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You did it again. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your glamorous host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. Today, we're going to talk about sales. First, though, remember, please download the Shark Bite Biz app. You can get it right now exclusively on the Google Play Store. If you're on an Android device, you can find every single episode of the show, both audio and video, right there inside the app. Plus, you can buy our fabulous coffee brand, Dead House Coffee, right there. If you don't want to buy it through the app, though, you can head right on over to deadhousecoffee.com you'll get the freshest coffee known on earth it is roasted it is sealed it is shipped within a 24-hour period to your doorstep plus if you use code shark you'll get 20 percent off of your order and we'll get all the proceeds directly supporting us producing the biggest and best show we possibly can back to today's show During the pandemic, everybody transitioned to ordering online because most places, unfortunately, close to a degree, and let's face it, ordering online has become much more streamlined, so much easier right now than it was two, three years ago. If you put your business online, then today's episode is going to be speaking right there to you. So who do we have today? None other than Mr. Robbie Switzer. Robbie Switzer is a co-founder of Shopanova, a modern growth media buying agency for e-commerce shops. The phenomenal duo of Robbie and his co-founder, Daniel Stafford, have been able to grow their clients' revenues from five figures all the way up to seven figures and beyond. So, hey, without further delay, let's bring Robbie right on in here. Reach your customer. Robbie, welcome to Shark Bite. Biz, you, my friend, you just became shark bait. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm stoked to be here. <laughs> oh, no problem. And, uh, you know, as I was thinking about saying that, about you becoming shark bait, you do have a, a, a fishing story that you'll tell us in a minute. So I think we go full circle and that all ties in together. Hopefully we'll see. So first question right out of the gate. We always ask every single person that comes on here, hey, what's your experience? What's your background? What do you do? How did you get there? You know, we love to hear those personal stories. So basically tell us in a nutshell, what makes Robbie, Robbie? Yeah, man, that's a good question. And a lot of people there, when they're asking me about my story, they're like, dude, you got to go back a few steps because this, this doesn't really make sense because I'm sitting here in Homer, Alaska, the town of like, you know, 5,000 people in the, in the winter. And then we get a little bit of tourism in the summer and, and the population increases from there for a little bit. of Yeah. So from 5,000 to 5,200, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It actually about doubles. It's a pretty, there's quite okay. a bit of people, but yeah, it's still pretty small to, to say the least, but then they kind of hear like, Hey, you're a co-founder of Shopanova, you and your brother-in-law, Daniel. And somehow over the last five or six years, you guys have generated your clients over like, $150 million in, in e-commerce sales with, with the strategies we're running for them. So it's like, okay, wait, something's, there's a disconnect here. And the, uh, your question's so funny because it's like our professional journey, it really did. It started on a commercial fishing boat because this is where we, we've lived. <laughs> this is where we've grown up. 
And that was always the thing to do. You know, it's kind of just known if you're from Homer, Alaska, that uh, when you grow up, you're going to go fishing, you're going to do some type of manual labor construction or something like that. So that was the path we followed. I'm from a small town in Pennsylvania called Pottsville, which is essentially the same thing. You know, not everybody, but, you know, I, I'd say seven or eight out of 10 people you're going to be in construction or some sort of manual labor type job. And in fact, my father owned a construction company and throughout my whole life, he was trying to teach me the way so I could one day take it over. And I'm like, no, this is not for me. And then at the age of 18, two months after September 11th, like I moved straight on out to Mexico. I was like, screw this. I moved to Mexico, lived down in Tijuana, worked in San Diego and built a life from there. So I, I know where you're coming from, though, where you say that there's kind of like that generational expectation of what you're going to do with your life. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. So so just to kind of pick up the story, we we did go ahead and start down that path and we Daniel and myself, again, Daniel's my brother-in-law. I happened to, to marry his little sister. That's a whole nother story in itself. But we both, in pretty young adulthood, um, took out a lot of debt, and we bought a commercial fishing operation, you know, upwards of $300,000 of debt. And then you, you go out to sea for a few months at a time, hope some fish show up, and then you hope you get paid a fair price for the, the fish that you actually catch. And what's funny is like, there's actually pieces of the story. And I'd be curious to, to hear um, if you have similar things in yours where it's like, there are parts of it that I actually really love. And I'm really grateful for, because, you know, being from a small town, uh, doing that type of work, it just taught a certain amount of integrity. If you're around like the same people all the time, you, your name is really like all you have, but then also some innovation. Like when we're out on a, on a boat in the middle of the ocean, like if you break down, you just have to figure it out. And it kind of fosters this idea of, you know, you have some good core values. You, you feel like pretty competent and figure, figuring things out. So that gave us a good foundation. It gives you that foundation and that survivor mode mentality that, I, I mean, to be honest, um, uh, we don't look like we're, we're too far off in age. Um, but I, I think with the younger generation that's coming up below us, I, I think there's a little bit of a disconnect there. That they don't have that experience like, like we had. And I don't know. I, I really think that, that just that, that having to survive, having to, you know, live on my own since I, I've been, I was living on my own since 17. So having to go through things like that really turned me into the person that I am today and made me a fighter of seeing, Hey, anything is, is, is possible. And it sounds like that's where there's a lot of crossover just be between my mentality, my personal story and your story and your mentality. Yeah, totally. As, as far as like an overall observation, I, we're in a, a very, we're in a little bit of a vacuum here, here in Alaska. And so it very much is still um, kind of behind the rest of the United States where there's still quite a bit of bootstrapping going on. And there kind of is like, 
all the people here were homesteaders. And so there is a lot of people, regardless of age, kind of have that survivor's mentality. And uh, yeah, just, just kind of like figuring it out and making the most of it. So that was kind of what we grew up around. And, and I don't think I realized that to be uh, a privilege or a blessing until, until later on. You know, once we kind of got into the business world and felt like that was actually becoming a strength of ours. So, yeah, I, I'm sure you have your own experience there. Um, for us, it just kind of felt like second nature. But now I definitely recognize it as something where I'm happy to have those experiences for sure. How many disappointing fishing seasons did you have with your $300,000 boat? Well, so let me let me just tell you the big disappointment and kind of the whole the whole transition into uh how we even started the the agency um so basically we had both been in it i had been fishing with my own boat for a few years and uh daniel had just kind of bought his his boat um for he had it for about one year and um his first season out you know, he, he grew up doing it from a very, very small age. His dad was kind of like a local legend here. Just really, really good. Everybody knew Daniel was going to grow up, get a boat and be really good as well. But one day, um, and again, he's a, he's a young adult. He's newly married, just found out he's going to be a father. He's heading back to the Harbor and, uh, the storm, a storm just comes up out of nowhere. And they have like in, in these fishing boats, it's about a, 40, 50 foot long fishing boat. It's himself, three other crewmen's and the, the fish hold, the, the compartment where all the fish are kept, it's only about half full. So the fish are in there sloshing back and forth. So out of nowhere, a big wave comes, it hits them on the side of the boat. All of those fish slosh to one side and what was going to be like a really awesome year for him and kind of like a launch into a successful career and successful adulthood, the whole boat capsized. And all of a sudden they're going from like, having kind of a fun season, a bunch of young guys on a boat to now like they're underwater and there's, there's water rushing in the windows and they're trying to figure out how to get out. And so Daniel was able to escape out the window, like as it was turning and for somehow he was able to keep his phone dry. So he was able to call for help right away, but there was three other crewmen that were still stuck inside the boat. And he just, I wish he was here because he can recap the story a lot better than I can, but just so much uh, feelings of like panic and fear, but on top of that, just like a complete failure, <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah. it is kind of a feast or famine thing where, you know, sometimes you can go have a really good fishing year and make, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand dollars in three to four months, which as a young guy, it's like, you go do that and you have the rest of the year off to go play and travel the world. But in another circumstance, it's like, you're doing a high risk thing and potentially you're going to flip a boat. So a couple questions there, the people that were stuck, did they survive? Yes. So, so thankfully they all survived. Uh, it took a while because the net was on the back of the boat as well. So the nets wrapped all around the boat, they're underwater, but I don't, again, Daniel can tell the story much, much better, but they were able to, um, you know, swim their way out of the net, swim their way out of the boat, and then, uh, you know, all climb up on the bottom of the boat as it was sitting there capsized. Eventually help showed up and um, they kind of cleaned up the pieces from there. What happens to a capsized boat? I mean, is it something to where it just gets, because I, I know of capsized boats, I've seen pictures, you've seen movies, whatever, stuff like that, but never 
really see what happens after the boat capsizes. I mean, do they just flip it around and let it dry off and then bam, you can use the boat again? Is that how it works? I mean, what happens to a capsized boat? Well, so there's, there's a period of time where it's just kind of like, the wild west like you don't really know what's going to happen before the coast guard arrives before anything like that happens it's like obviously just figuring out how to make everybody survive uh from there they were just trying to figure out okay what are the real problems we have now and you know big big potential problem is pollution you know maybe there's oil spilling out of the engine there's fuel um so the first thing they did and again like you said maybe you can you can salvage some of it so they towed the boat to shore. They weren't terribly far offshore. So they towed the boat to shore. They got it so that it at least wasn't sinking. And it was kind of sitting on the bottom part of the boat out of the water, part of the boat on the bottom of the ocean. And, uh, and then from there, the coast guard showed up and they're doing all of their um, pollution control, making sure that oil and fuel isn't getting out into the, into the rest of the ocean. And so they're kind of controlling the contamination. Um, but yeah, after that, there's a whole process of getting the boat out of the water. Uh, crazy enough, like, I think Daniel bought it back from the insurance agency. It was super underinsured. So he um, ended up losing like all of his savings kind of equity out of his house. It was a really big bummer. But he was able to resell the boat. And then somebody basically, like you said, they they dried it out. They put new engines in and they refurbished the whole thing and now that boat's still fishing today but that's crazy just another oddball question there out of pure curiosity because you know i don't fish i've obviously i've seen some of those alaskan uh fishing tv shows and stuff like that but if you got to call the coast guard for help okay are you getting a bill from the Coast Guard? Because you're essentially calling like 911, you know? So does your insurance cover that? Is that something they're billing you for then? Or is that just a service as them doing their duty as part of the United States military? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a good question. I don't know that I have a great answer for it. I just know, Daniel, for a lot of the financial stuff, um, what he had in terms of insurance was not sufficient to cover, uh, you know, whatever fees were associated with getting the boat out of the water. I believe there are some fines. Uh, you can't just be dumping fuel and oil in, in the ocean. So potentially some fines with getting that all cleaned up. I think the Coast Guard, though, I don't think that's, that's crazy, though. You have an accident like that. A storm comes out of nowhere. You have an accident like that. Your boat capsizes. And the government's worried about, oh, well, you spilled some gas, so we're going to have to fine you. I mean, it just, I, I, I don't know. It just seems like the least, uh, like, yeah, getting the, the, the pollution aspect of it's important and getting that cleaned up. But the actual fining of somebody over an accident, unless they found that it was just pure negligence or whatever, it just, I don't know, that, that seems wrong to to be but that's just my opinion yeah totally so so that was that was kind of what was going on with daniel and about that same time i i was in a very paralleled experience kind of just in the stage of life where i had just gotten married i had actually already had my first baby and i was at the end of a salmon season which is about three months long 
Um, and then you, you can like stretch it out to four if you're, if you're really going to grind and make those extra pennies. So I had been out there, I think like three and a half months, it was a cold and dark evening. And I was just like, so over it, dude, I just wanted to go home. I wanted to go home and see my daughter. And I realized at the time, like she had just, uh, turned seven months. Basically she was seven months old and I had been gone for like three and a half months of that. And I was like, dang, that's like, uh, that's over half her life at this point, which again, you got to put it in perspective. It's like a few months. But for me, I was like, I just don't want to be out here right now. And I looked out across the water. There was a, a much, much older man. And he was out there. It was like the middle of the night. It was raining. It was sloppy. There wasn't much fish. And he was just drinking and operating his boat. And I was like, dang, like if I don't do something that if I don't do something different, that probably could be me. And, you know, maybe I'll roll my boat. Maybe my family will be at home. Like, I don't know. But I knew I wanted something different. And so Daniel has this traumatic experience. Me, not as much of a traumatic experience, but kind of an aha moment. An enlightening experience. I mean, that's definitely enlightening. And I think that's also important because I know people generally know like, hey, you guys go out, you, you know, but you really go out for months at a time for fishing without coming back yeah so definitely like from i thought it was like a week or two so so sometimes depending on where you are so i live in homer the fishery we were doing was like out of the prince william sound so we would still maybe make a few trips to town but it wasn't like i was able to see my family because it was only like maybe you're dropping off fish maybe you're getting groceries really quick and then you're right back out to the water so we were away from home for like three to four months, but we'd maybe still see land. Uh, a couple more years of marriage and you probably would appreciate those three to four months. <laughs> totally. <laughs> All of a sudden that mission <laughs> would be about fishing. Done. <laughs> but it did give you, you know, Daniel had his event. You had your enlightening moment. So how does that transform then from two literal fishermen turning, you know, joining up together to start something such as Shapanova? Totally. So when the fishing world is very adventurous, and that was the part about it that I loved. I loved some of the core values that we got, and I loved the adventure. Naturally, like we loved to document that adventure. So we always had a video camera with us. We love to make videos. And I think throughout this process, there had been a few businesses that were like, Hey, I love your guys' videos. Can you make uh, a video for my business? And this kind of like sparked an idea in, a, in us. And we basically came together after that season. We're like, dude, I don't want to keep fishing. And then that kind of led to a conversation of, of, well, what else could we do? We're like, well, let's do something we love. Like let's, let's make videos together. And as naive as that sounds, that was the start of us, um, you know, potentially starting a, a multi-million dollar marketing agency, which we had no idea at the time. We were just taking the next step forward. For us, it was a video production company. And so I think I leased my boat out. Daniel, um, he kind of sold what he could out of his operation. We just started making videos and we were selling those all throughout Alaska. And through this process, uh, we really wanted the videos to make a difference for the business that we were creating them for. And people like on a, upon initial feedback would really love what we created for them. 
but then we'd follow up, you know, maybe a month later and we'd say, well, how's, how's it impacting your business? Did you post it on your website? Is it on social media? And they're like, yeah, I mean, and friends and family said it was really cool. Not really changing my business or getting us more sales. And that felt very wrong to us because they paid good money for that video. And we put really hard work into us, into it. So we're like, what's going on here? Like, there's got to be a way to use these videos. And then answering that question is what led us into basically paid ads. And then specifically for, for e-commerce businesses, now everything we do is online. We went from just creating the video to now learning how to take a marketing asset and use that to make money for a business. And now that's been what we've been doing ever since. So without giving away the secret sauce, I mean, okay, let's take a step back before the show, before I hit the record button, you and I were, were talking and I, I tell you, Hey, part of my secret sauce is that I always kind of believe humor, you know, having little jokes, whether they're quirky or corny or not, I don't care. I, I do the jokes. I'll take the hit, blame me. But um, having that humor in there is a big part of my success, not just my success with the show, but my success in business as well too, because then, Hey, you know, if they're laughing, they're listening, you know, and they generally like you if they're going to laugh at your jokes. And it's something that I've just kind of taken on and owned as my domain. One of the companies that we've had on here, they actually specialize um, just on funny videos, funny videos that are meant to be eye catching that like if you're scrolling down in your your timeline within the first three to four seconds, it's going to make you stop to watch the video because you're like, huh, what's that? And boom, and you got them locked in and that's like their their key market and Dude is very, very successful with doing his business. Do you incorporate that then into your strategy with your ads at all? I mean, how do you integrate humor? Absolutely. So that's like one of my favorite parts of the job. And we do it for ourselves, not necessarily for our clients. When it comes to our clients, we do uh, what's appropriate for their brand. If we can push some, push some humor in there, like we, we most certainly will, but some people, maybe they're trying to do like high fashion or something and they don't feel like there's a place for humor in the ads that we're creating for them. But for ourselves, like for example, I uh, just recently got to do this one where uh, my face got face swapped onto Leonidas. And I said, this is Shapanova. And I kicked Daniel into the pit. And that's kind of how we kicked off our ad. And then we're showing case studies. But we've always, um, I think being from Alaska and really kind of being an unlikely person to be running a marketing agency, I think it was very early on that we realized that can be a strength. Because I think at first we we wanted to hide it because we were embarrassed. We're like, nobody's going to want to hire somebody from little old Homer Alaska to run their ads. But once we started owning it and we started telling the fishing story and we started showing our personality through humor, I think people are able to connect with us a lot more. And now like all we do to advertise our agency is pretty much funny ads. There's one where I'm falling out of the sky. There's ones where I'm kicking Daniel. Daniel just did one where he's dressed up like 
Cupid and he's floating around for a Valentine's Day thing we're doing. And looking at Daniel's picture, he does look like somebody that would do that. I mean, oh, yeah. So you don't feel like there's a disconnect with the quote-unquote lower 48, you know, as far as you all being able to work with a company, a small business in New York City, you know, which is probably like the media central of the country, if not the world, okay, that you're not going to have difficulties as far as working with them? Well, so what's awesome is our our team is built remotely as well. So we actually have people, you know, on the East Coast. And uh, so far, like, we've been able to acquire clients pretty much nationwide, which has been super, super awesome. And then our team, I think right now we're, we have around 25 people full-time working with us. Our team is pretty evenly spread across, you know, from Alaska all the way over to the East coast. So in terms of like getting the client with somebody who's actually going to understand them and serve them well, uh, we're pretty set up well to do that. Um, yeah. And then I think it, it is helpful just to kind of authentically show up and and lean into our strengths like we're probably not the best fit for everybody uh but we're not going to pretend to be either so that makes the relationships that we do have really good and really strong okay so there are a lot of places that people can put ads whether it's youtube facebook instagram twitter um google you know amazon i mean there there's a, a ton of places for most businesses i mean where are they going to get their biggest bang for a buck so that's a really interesting question because we feel like it's shifting um for a long time we were like all about facebook and instagram and it's still a very big core service that we provide but definitely uh looping back to google like google was a big thing uh, several years ago becoming pretty big again um and then it, TikTok now, like the algorithm, some of our clients, they put stuff out and there's just a certain virality about it where they're getting really good returns on the, the ad spend that we're putting into that platform. There's discussion of like a lot more, but I think that the theme kind of going into 2022 here and potentially beyond is, um, you know, really making sure that you're not just focused on one channel, one, one traffic source. So more than ever, I feel like it takes showing up everywhere as opposed to just trying to be a one-trick pony. Yeah, yeah, and I've I've seen that. You know, I'll go from Google to Facebook to you know Twitter, and it's like, wow, I got the same ad stalking me. I think they're trying to send me a message, like buy me or something. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it's got so crazy that uh, I, I recently was like, okay, I am. Uh, I'm just gonna download the the more privacy centric Brave browser, and I've been using that to stop a little bit of the tracking because you know I'm a shopaholic. You know, they keep putting ads in front of me that are totally relevant, and then I end up buying all this junk that is kind of cool and that I like, but I don't really need it. So it was kind of a way of me just stepping in and stopping the compulsive purchasing. Totally. And I think a lot of people are in that same boat, which is making our job a, a lot more difficult. But I mean, we're not we're not bitter about that, but there's been a lot of moves toward privacy. Look at everything that Apple did, um, you know, some things that Facebook is doing. 
And for us, uh, it's difficult. It provides a lot of challenges for us and how we're attributing sales to the things we're doing, uh, really conveying the value of what we do to our clients. But it's also providing us an opportunity to let things get shaken up a little bit. And then we're so committed that we know we're going to be able to find, you know, the best way to report everything, the best way to scale everything. Um, but for us right now, it's actually, we're having to do some pretty wild things to be able to do what we do effectively. Right, right, right. Understood. So one of the last questions I wanted to ask you then is how do you scale an e-commerce site? Okay, we got a lot of people out there that during the pandemic, they kicked off their own e-commerce business, e-commerce site. Um, us, for example, we have our own coffee brand, Deadhouse Coffee. Okay, how do you scale it from 10,000 a month to a million a month and, you know, scale up to five, six, or even seven figures. The name of the game again is changing and it is much less about finding one thing that works and that you can just throw all of your budget toward and scale it up and more about omnipresence and really figuring out, you know, what is my strategy, not just for Facebook and Instagram, but for Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Google. And then I think that the, the secret sauce to being able to do it effectively is being able to have all of these different marketing initiatives going, but then being able to consolidate your numbers into one place and make appropriate decisions accordingly. And I think that's what's really difficult for people right now because of all of the privacy stuff that Apple has been doing, that Facebook has been doing. So it takes a lot of manual data entry. We're actually developing software to be able to do this quickly and easily. Um, but I think for anybody, there, there should be some encouragement that um, you don't necessarily have to, like that's, that's on the extreme. Like if you really want to get analytical, you want to be strategic about it, that's, that's definitely the way to go. But I think at the end of the day, it's still about, you're still buying from a person. You're an e-commerce brand and perhaps you've had a bigger focus on e-commerce uh, after the pandemic, but people still buy from people. And the way you market your brand uh, just needs to build a relationship with somebody. And I think if people can grasp that idea and then figure out how to use the tools, that's going to be the most helpful thing to them in that journey, as opposed to just getting lost in tactics and techniques and ad hacks. There's a lot of that that's really, really valuable if you have uh, the essence of your brand figured out, if you can figure out how to connect and communicate with your customers in a way that actually adds value to their life. Okay. Well, hey. That's an awesome story, though, that you got there, Robbie. I mean, it's real original going from fishermen all the way out to running this huge ad company of Shapanova. Uh, it's quite impressive, especially coming from a place like Alaska, where you would not expect this. So very last question for you. How can our viewers, our listeners, our, you know, everybody out there on YouTube, how can they find out more about you and your counterpart, uh, Daniel Stafford? First of all, thank you so much for having me. Lo love being here. Love chatting no, with no you. Problem. The best way to get a hold of us to learn more about the company is just to go to shopanova.com. And then from there, if you do have an e-commerce brand, we have a ton of free resources that would help you on your journey. We even offer uh, free audits of like what you're doing so we can provide you with some tangible uh, ways for you to continue moving forward and growing. 
Uh, but yeah, shopanova.com is definitely the best place to get in touch with us. And that's kind of the hub. There's different links to social media and stuff like that from there. Okay. Awesome. Perfect. Hey, Robbie, thank you so much. This has been fun. It's been a blast. Love hearing your story. Really grateful for you coming on and sharing everything with us. And maybe post pandemic, you know, we'll get you back on here to talk about how things have changed now that people are starting to use cells, you know, Facebook, TikToks, stuff like that less as they actually start doing things outside. Totally. Yeah, I would love to. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again, bud. All right. Cheers. Oh, wow. That was such a fun chat with Robbie, wasn't it? First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked those warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out, because you know Sharkbite Biz is the greatest kept secret in the whole wide world of business, please do me a favor. Shoot this out to your friends, your colleagues, your family, anywhere you dwell on the interwebs, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Minds, Twitter, whatever it may be, please help share the show out. And obviously, again, please like, comment, and subscribe to the channel. Now let's get back to our rock star guest, Mr. Robbie Switzer. For those that don't believe we are fully digitally transformed, yeah, I know, there's a few of you out there, okay? Look at Robbie and Daniel and what they are doing from Alaska. It's really a global economy, a global marketplace. Really, the limitations are your imagination, your willpower, and your ability to catch people's attention. From Alaska or not, you know, building a business is tough. Doing it online with all the competition, it's even tougher these days. And that's why I'm glad we have people like Robbie and Daniel out there with their Shopanova business to help guide us through the chaos, the global chaos that we now live in. Being able to reach people online and that just aren't scrolling past, you know, your ads or your posts or whatever, but, you know, actually catching their eye on Facebook, Instagram, wherever it may be. I mean, really just maximizing your reach and probably more importantly, your spend to be able to get an ROI is so critical these days. Just don't throw your money away. We got some solid tips on how to spend your money in advertising and why investing in an agency, again, like Shopanova, since they were on today, why invest in an agency to help you achieve your growth is oftentimes way better than just trying to save a dime doing it yourself. Sometimes saving a dime actually cost you a dollar. And that's a key message that I really got today talking with Robbie. Hey, Robbie, awesome stuff, man. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing what you and Daniel are doing. Please check out their business. Links are going to be down below in the description of the video or the audio podcast. Question of the day. Do you do your own marketing? Or do you go to the pros? Leave a comment. Let's discuss. I'd love to hear what you all are doing. Do you want to be on the show? If so, please shoot out an email to interviews at sharkbitefizz.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit that little join button. You can join the channel. $3 a month. You can become a baby shark. If not, please head on over to deadhousecoffee.com where you'll get the freshest coffee on earth delivered to your doorstep 
use code shark you'll get 20 percent off your order we'll get all the proceeds to continue what we're doing right here you all know this by now but i'm david strasser this is shark bite biz we'll see you all next week ciao Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. 